Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Obviously, this is a little bit different than something we're used to. And actually, even though I said good morning, I'm recording this on Saturday night. I'm doing that so that Matt can do his magic, do the things he needs to do to edit this or do whatever he does to make this ready to present to you. And uh, Matt, thank you for your faithfulness and your hard work. I know you've got a very full plate uh, for a number of reasons. And all these extra emails and all this other stuff is adding to it. And uh, I want you to know that I appreciate you. I know the church appreciates you. And Living Word Family Church, I appreciate you. Um, You guys have just been great this week with your messages, your emails, the news updates, the support, and all kinds of useful communication. Keep it up. As I've said and will continue to say, I apologize. I can't respond personally to every single text, uh, but I'll do my best. And even though uh, a lot of the things I see are, uh, are old news, perhaps by the time you send them to me, that's not a reason to not send them to me because you never know when you might be the first source of such news. I appreciate you, love you, praying for you. In fact, before I get started in this message, uh, let, me, let, me, let me say a couple things before I pray. We are still working on a possible plan for assembling next week. I do not know... Uh, where we're going to be with regards to this shelter in place slash lockdown order from the governor. Um, We're determined to comply uh, as far as we can, uh, but curiously absent from all the specifics that I've seen uh, is any directive telling churches not to assemble. We're still, the last I heard, under orders not to assemble with any groups larger than 50. Uh, Grocery stores are still open. Gas stations are still open. Um, hardware stores, restaurants are open for carryout. The weed dispensary is still open. Uh, so I think we can find a way to meet next week for those of you that care to. And, um, you know, you saw my, you saw my email. I'm assuming most of you saw my email. When you look at the reasons for this lockdown, it all has to do, of course, with slowing Uh, and mitigating the transmission of this disease. The government says we're beyond containment at this point, and that's what uh, seems to be the consensus. But when you're looking at grocery stores and gas stations, when people are touching the same things over and over, our church is a much, much safer and more sanitized environment than those things. So believe me, it's not something you personally need to be afraid of. If we can do it and still comply with the mandate, we will. I really look forward to seeing some of you next week, but we'll play it by ear. Let's pray and then we'll get into the message. Thank you so much, Father, for your goodness, for your constant presence. I thank you for every person that's listening to this at any time during the day, during the week. And I pray, Lord God, that you make your spirit manifest in our midst, even though we are not gathered together physically. I pray that you show yourself strong and real and present in every family, in every heart, in every person as we uh, partake of the bread of your word today. We look forward to the nourishment we receive and the sustainment, uh, the encouragement and the strengthening that can only come from your inspired word. Thank you. Holy Spirit, for revealing it to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
listen, I want to take a minute to tell you where I'm coming from in this message this morning. Um, on one hand, I don't want this coronavirus thing to be uh, dominating our thinking and our lives to the point that that's all we talk about, and certainly not to the point where it takes away from our study of the whole counsel of the Word of God. On the other hand, I do want to share a quote with you that I've shared with you before, usually in a political context. Uh, this is a quote that is often attributed to Martin Luther. Now, it turns out I'm pretty sure Martin Luther didn't say it. I'm not going to go into the whole story here, but if you're interested in this kind of thing, there's there's pretty good uh, article or two on the internet about the sleuthing that went into tracking down this quote. Bottom line is the core truth of this really did come from Luther, but it was um, shortened and condensed in a different work by somebody else. But it goes like this. If I profess with the loudest and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all the battlefields besides is merely flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. So, of course, as certain political issues come up, you can see, uh, and social issues, you can see how that would be appropriate. But now the attack is coming in a different form. Uh, no doubt about it, this COVID-19 is the issue that's on the hearts and minds of the world. And I think it's most appropriate to address this for now in light of the Word of God. And let's start this morning in Numbers chapter 21. Now... What we're about to read takes place, this is of course after the Exodus, the people, uh, the children of Israel had left Egypt, they had been camped at Sinai, they'd received the law and they had come up to the river Jordan and then refused to enter the land of promise out of fear. And as a result, God had told them this generation was going to die out and then the next generation would inherit the land. Some other stuff happens, it's worth reading, it's very, very good stuff. Um, but now they are, uh, we're years past that rebellion. How many years, I'm not sure, but they're on the move. And they did, uh, the numbers, the, the, the key word of numbers is wandering. They did 40 years of wandering around, learning war, and uh, just depending on God in preparation for this next generation of Israelites to enter the land of promise. Anyway, here, what we're about to read, they had requested passage through Edom, the kingdom of Edom, and they had been denied, so they're going to go through Canaan instead. And uh, because I want you to see this in context, we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 21. Exodus 21, verse 1, it says, The king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. 
and the people spoke up against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Now I want you to notice something. God had just delivered to them a great victory over the Canaanites. They were strong in the face of adversity in the form of war, a direct threat. Uh, but they started whining because now they had to take the long way around around Edom, through the land of Canaan, and that's when the serpents attacked. And what were they whining about? They're whining about the length of the trip, and they're whining about the boredom, and they specifically are whining about the bread. What was the bread? The manna. The manna that God was miraculously providing for them day by day, week, month, years uh, uh, on end. And they'd begun to take it for granted. They said, we're sick of it. We're tired of this worthless bread. And in doing that, they were speaking against Moses and against God himself. Now, so what's it say? God sent these snakes, these fiery serpents, these venomous snakes among them, and the snakes bit people and people died. Now, did God create the snakes out of thin air? Did he send them? It doesn't matter a whole lot. Uh, there are studies that show there were there are things that, that, that were referred to as sand vipers, venomous snakes that were indigenous to the area. Uh, I personally see it this way, that the Israelites, again, taking it for granted, had been wandering and traveling and living under God's divine protection and his provision for years now without even realizing what he was protecting them from. And when they began to complain, take it for granted, and, and count it by their own words as worthless, God simply removed his hands of protection. Nature takes over. The snakes come into the camp. People start to die. Now, therefore, in verse 7 we're picking up here, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now there's a lot here that we need to see. First, of course, is that the people humbled themselves. They immediately recognized that the snakes were a direct result of their sin. The big thing, though, is that the solution that the Lord gave them was this. Let me read this to you from the Amplified Bible. And I know maybe, maybe some of you have heard me kind of make some snarky comments about the Amplified Bible. I want you to know I really don't have anything against the Amplified Bible per se. My issue with it, I get a little twitchy. The, the Amplified Bible, what it does is it takes commentary and crams it into the translation itself. And I always get a little twitchy about that. But just for the record, I can't think of anything offhand in the commentary that I personally have an issue with. And I'm going to read you something that I believe really does line up with, uh, with these word definitions. Anyway, here it is. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent of bronze, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. And Moses made a serpent out of bronze and put it on a pole. And if a serpent had bitten any man when he looked to the serpent of bronze attentively, expectantly, and with a steady and absorbing gaze, he lived. 
This is the thing I really wanted you to see. Attentively, expectingly, expectantly, and with a steady and absorbing gaze. There was a lot going on in that moment. Snakes were slithering around the feet of the children of Israel. They were biting people. But if they looked to the bronze serpent and not at the snakes, they lived. Now, one thing you need to see here is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ, an important one too. Uh, many people have looked at this knowing that this is supposed to represent Jesus and his salvation and his healing, uh, specifically his healing, and said, well, why a snake and not a lamb? That's uh, because Jesus was our sin offering. Scripture tells us that he became sin for us. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can check it out. When they looked at the representation of their sin, which was this serpent, with a attentive, expectant, and steady and absorbing gaze, they were delivered from the consequence of their sin. And that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this really is the central message of that passage. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And looking unto Jesus, who became sin for us, is the only way to salvation, to be delivered from the consequence of our sin. John 3.36 says this, that whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. That word believes doesn't just mean acknowledge the existence of. It means rely on, trust in, cling to. Same thing with the bronze serpent. They couldn't just glance at it. They had to get their attention on it, and that meant ignoring. It means getting their attention on the serpent rather than the actual serpents. Get their attention on the bronze serpent, not on the actual serpents that were around their feet and biting them. Now, what does that have to do with where we are today? What does it have to do with coronavirus? Well, for one thing, there is a lot of information coming out day by day. And a lot of it is, frankly, scary. We do need to be informed. We need to be wise. Uh, here's a quote I shared this week from Tony Cook. I shared this on Facebook. It says, faith and wisdom are entirely compatible, but faith and panic are not compatible at all. So if we're going to pay attention to news outlets, social media, uh, and even emails, we are going to encounter some reports that might have the effect of bringing fear upon us. And our response needs to be this, keep our eyes on Jesus. To look at him with an attentive, expectant, steady and absorbing gaze. We need to see him as our protector, our healer and our deliverer. We need to see him as he is, bigger than this stupid virus, because he is. But we must be committed to looking unto him even as the snakes slither around our feet, even as people are being bitten, snakes or not, bites or not, virus or not, we will live if we look to him. The second thing, and this is second out of three, we must not fear death itself. That's the big thing, isn't it? When people talk about this thing, whether they're trying to stir you up 
or calm you down, what are they always doing? They're quoting statistics. They're giving you percentages. Percentages of what? The fatality rate. Worst case scenario, only this percentage of people die. Worst case scenario, this percentage of people will die. It's all about dying. And we need to come to grips with the fact that what makes our faith so precious is that the worst thing that can happen ultimately is not that bad. We have been promised eternal life. And I'm not trying to be maudlin here, but the thing we need to dread is not dying itself. We want to be found doing what he has called us to do, whether we die or whether he returns while we're in the middle of it. Church, there's so much to say about this thing that I can't go into this morning. We can talk about end times. We can talk about prophecies, biblical prophecies and modern day prophecies. Well, but remember this. According to the epidemiologists, according to the Centers for Disease Control, according to the World Health Organization, this thing is just starting. According to them, things are going to get a whole lot worse before they get better. The statistics are going to pile up. People talk about having never seen anything like this before. Friends, there has never been anything like this before. Yeah, there have been plagues, there have been disasters, but there has never been anything like this that has threatened this many people this quickly. And there has never been a greater existential threat to our way of life than this virus. So, in light of that great news, I want to move quickly to my third point, which is this. And I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. Now, you can read around this as well for context. Uh, but in the interest of time, uh, we're in Samaria. This is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Jehoram is king. Elisha is the prophet. And uh, Samaria is under siege. Okay? Things were grim. And uh, if you want to see exactly how grim, read chapter 6. It's pretty gory. Things were really bad. Much grimmer than things are now, by the way. But in chapter 7, when the king, Jehoram, confronts the prophet Elisha, we read this. And Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows of heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes. But you shall not eat of it. Uh, before I read on, let me tell you exactly what he's saying here because we don't measure things that way. Eat, things were so bad that food was being sold at extraordinary, exorbitant, really uh, prohibitively uh, high prices. And the prophet is saying that things are going to improve to a point where they found it literally unbelievable that the same time tomorrow prices would drop to where things were utterly reasonable. And this king, this, this close assistant of the king said, I can't even see how this would happen if God literally made windows in heaven and poured out such an abundance. Why were things so, so uh, uh, expensive? Because they were scarce. It was supply and demand. Now, picking it up in verse 3, because we started in verse 1. I don't know if I mentioned that. Still in chapter 7, verse 3. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? 
If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we'll die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. These were the enemies that had the city under siege. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. So they did the math. We've got three scenarios. We can sit here and die. We can go into the city and die. Or we can go into the enemy's camp and only maybe die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And when they came back and entered another tent, and then they carried some from there also and went and hid it. And you can read on. It's kind of interesting. They have an attack of conscience and realize they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. So they went in and they told the rest of the city and just like that, Food was abundant, the siege was over, the danger was past, prices were down. My point in this case is this. We look to God. We look to his promises. We do not need to be able to see exactly how deliverance will come. It's nice to hear encouraging news. The scientists, the doctors will come out with a best case scenario and tell you, well, if this happens, if the weather changes, if we self-isolate, this could happen. We could have a vaccine by such and such a date. And it's good when they tell us about hopeful possibilities. But our job as believers is to trust in the Lord and depend upon his promises. We are not trusting him for the best case scenario that the scientists can imagine, that the world can come up with. We are trusting him to do what only he can do. He can deliver us from this thing tomorrow. We can wake up any day and learn that this thing is dying across the globe, that it has mutated into some harmless form. It's not our job to imagine how God can deliver us. It is our job, it is our responsibility to trust that he will deliver us. And this can happen tomorrow. This can happen at any time. We continue to trust God. Don't limit your thinking your faith, your imagination to the best that the world can come up with. Just trust him. Be not weary in well-doing. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look to him with an expectant, attentive, and steady and absorbing gaze. And know that the God you're gazing on loves you. Let me pray for us. Father, we are in a time of trouble. It's a time that none of us have seen before. And we have a few straightforward requests of you. And we bring them to you boldly because you told us we could. Lord, wipe out this virus. Kill it for us because we don't know how. 
kill it before it kills all the people it's predicted to kill. Protect us, your people, in the midst of this crisis. You have promised to be our protector, to give your angels charge over us, and we receive that protection by faith. Make us brave and bold for as long as this lasts. Help us to trust you completely for our provision, for our health, for our very lives. And since we are the light of the world, energize us, Lord, and make us shine brightly. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. I look forward to communicating with you more this week. We love you. We are praying for you. Continue to pray for us. We'll see you soon. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.